Episode 21. 1921 is the year that insulin was discovered by Banting and Company at the University of Toronto. Tim Duncan is the best athlete to wear the number 21. And when I was 21 years old, I was very lucky to get my first offer of admission to medical school from the University of Alberta, although I do believe I rescued a very average interview with a good joke at the end. But more on that another day. Beyond MD, episode 21, here we go. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Beyond MD podcast. I want to take a quick second to thank each and every one of you for joining me again today because your support means so much. I love it when you email, you reach out to me with questions, with feedback, with suggestions for topics, ratings and reviews. Honestly, your support is so, so appreciated. This is what keeps the podcast going. So please keep it coming. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to go through my past, look at the various stages of my life, and I want to inspect the various personal, professional, and financial lessons that I have learned to this date. And I also want to talk about some mistakes that I made because I do believe there's something for everyone to learn. So quick background on me, I'm from Kingston, Ontario, and I went to Queen's University for undergrad. So yes, I was in that group of 4% who is from Kingston and went to Queen's for undergrad, not something that I necessarily recommend. And I found that as undergrad went on, I was really seeking a change. So I told myself that if I do get into medical school, I'm going to make it a point to do my medical training at a different location each stint along the way. So I was very lucky to get accepted to the University of British Columbia School of Medicine, and I was very fortunate to be part of the graduating class of 2010, the Olympic class. And so then back to home sweet home, Kingston for residency, where I did five years at Queen's University. And now those five years were definitely the most significant of my life, because that's where I met my wife, Seema Acharya. We got engaged in residency, we got married, and we even had our first child. And After all that, we were seeking more change and more adventure, and then we took off to San Diego for one year where I did my musculoskeletal radiology fellowship. After that, our trip around North America continued. I spent just under a year with the family in Calgary with my first job. And then since 2017, I've been working at North York General Hospital as a radiologist, and we currently live in Thornhill. Now, just a bit of personal information. So you guys know I'm a sports fan, and I've supported the Pittsburgh Penguins diehard, diehard fans since I was age six. I started watching them in Newfoundland. And here's an interesting fact. The Pittsburgh Penguins in the Sidney Crosby era have never won a Stanley Cup when I've lived in Ontario. Their victories came when I was in Vancouver, in San Diego, and in Calgary. So basically what that means is if they're going to win a cup again, I basically need to get my ass out of Ontario fast, which probably isn't happening anytime soon. So the parts of my life I'd like to focus most on are my year of fellowship in San Diego and then the first job in Calgary because I think a lot of change was happening in our lives at the time and I think therefore this offers the most opportunity to learn and also it's a time when I made the greatest number of mistakes. So let's start there. So at the end of residency, I was deciding on where to go for fellowship. So basically the considerations were essentially staying in Ontario and Canada within our comfort zone or taking the plunge and going somewhere different to train. So the factors I had in my mind were the quality of the fellowship, the networking opportunities, the income, and then the location. And I know that income is usually not a top factor when deciding where to do your fellowship, but guys, hear me out because I knew that if I was going to go to San Diego, I would in that year earn only $10,000. Now, I can't get into all the details of it here, maybe over a drink sometime, but it was a $10,000 stipend, but this is a factor that I was aware of. So I knew this going in. 
And I remember one night at dinner, this is before Seema and I were engaged, we were at dinner, and I told her I was really confused about the decision on fellowship. I said I didn't know what to do. And she took me aside and she said, listen, I think you're overcomplicating things. Because in my mind, she said there's only one factor, and that is the life experience and the opportunities that San Diego will afford us. So she said, I think we should do it take the chance to live in Southern California. We may never get to do this again. And she said, I really want to live in San Diego. So I'm with you all the way on this. And that night, she was certainly the voice of reason as she is on most nights. And she helped me to make the right decision. So when I look at San Diego and the lessons that I can take from it, I can kind of divide it up into three areas. So the first one is professional. And so what I want to say here is that San Diego taught me that medicine is a universal language. And what I mean by that is, as long as you are surrounded by the right people who are motivated and want to work hard, you can literally go anywhere on the planet for your medical training and have a phenomenal learning experience. And when it came to San Diego, I thought the educational experience was really, really strong. There was such excellent teaching around musculoskeletal anatomy. We had weekly rounds for the fellows that were very high quality. And I got to pick up a ton of 3T MRI, which I had not done up until that point. So interesting story around there. So I went there to train part of my time with Dr. Donald Resnick, who is one of the gurus of musculoskeletal imaging. And he had many teleradiology contracts. So when we were working with him, we had to show up to work at 6.15 in the morning and just start pounding the list because he would walk into the room wanting to read out cases starting at 6.30 because all the centers on the East Coast were waiting for the reports and they wanted them by 10 a.m., which was 7 a.m. our time. So that in itself was quite interesting. I also had a chance to do to interpret images for the San Diego Chargers. And trust me, when I was looking at those cases, I learned a lot. And I deep down inside thought I was adding a lot of value. But the truth is, the attending physicians for the team couldn't care less about what I said. But nonetheless, I learned a lot and made the most of the experience. And I truly do believe that San Diego kind of paved the way for me to get the job in Calgary and then also open doors to Ontario. So to any trainees who are listening to this, if you are debating whether or not to take the plunge outside of your comfort zone and go somewhere else for your training, I would say absolutely unequivocally, yes, you should do it. Because when you go outside your comfort zone and go to a different center, you gain exposure to new perspectives, new ideas, and most importantly, you expand your network. And I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Now, the second lesson from San Diego is a financial one. Recall, I was only making $10,000 that entire year. Seema was not working. Now, fortunately, Seema had brought down some savings for us from her job at Deloitte, which we were very, very grateful for. But life had to be simple and we had to make the most of it. So together, Seema and I, with our 10-month-old at the time, we had one car, which we shared, and I would only use that car once every five weeks. And so I had to walk and bike to most of my rotations. And I have to say that that really helped me to enjoy the day-to-day, the simple things, made the most of the weather, the San Diego sunshine, and it actually worked in my favor because, guys, trust me, when I got to San Diego, I looked like total shit. I had put on weight in fifth year from the stress of the radiology exams, from the stress of being a new parent, my sideburns were growing down to my jawline, I was just a mess. So for me to kind of walk around, burn some extra calories, it worked out in my favor. 
And for us as a family, certain outings became a real treat, and we really looked forward to them. So whether it was a trip to Disney, which we actually only ended up doing once, or going out to some of our favorite restaurants, we looked forward to these experiences and we became very grateful for them. And then in this process, with this mindset, we learned that you don't always have to be spending a lot of money to have a lot of fun. And so as this pandemic winds down, if you guys are thinking of going to San Diego, I'm going to throw out four restaurants for you, which were our favorites. So the first three are in La Jolla. So the El Pescador Fish Market, they make absolutely incredible fish sandwiches. Harry's Coffee Shop, which was our favorite breakfast diner. And in fact, at one point, this was one of the top five breakfast diners in America. The Cottage, which is another really good brunch spot in La Jolla. They have the best French toast with strawberries I've ever had. And then Sushi Oda, which is a very legit sushi joint in Pacific Beach. So just some food for thought the next time you're down in SoCal. So the take home here is really enjoying the simple things in life and being grateful for what you have. That mindset helped us to survive in San Diego and make the most of our experience there. And Drip Coffee. Drip Coffee was my friend because I literally had no other choice. So now the final lesson from San Diego is a very important one, and that is the importance of networking. I consider myself very lucky to have the chance to train with Dr. Donald Resnick and his team. They are amazing teachers, and more importantly, they are wonderful people. And the best part about this whole thing is that we have kept in touch to this day. This is something I work really hard at because it gives me a lot of joy. So for example, if I'm stuck on a case and if I can't get an answer here, I'll take pictures and I'll email him and he'll get back to me within the hour. I, it's something I'm very, very lucky to have. But most importantly, this has taught me that it gives me a lot of joy to keep certain relationships going. And here's the thing. We as human beings, by nature, we are forward-looking. We're always striving for that next stage and that next achievement because we think that that is what's going to bring us lasting happiness. And this is, so, this is what's called the arrival fallacy. And we in medicine, because we work so hard to get to where we are today, we are very, very predisposed to this. So we're predisposed to this arrival fallacy, while in the meantime, we're placing less emphasis on living in the moment. And sometimes we're forgetting about the past entirely. Whereas the truth is, there are a lot of people in our past who played a significant role, whether it was personally or professionally, to help us to get to where we are today. So I encourage you, and I know all of us here, we have these people in our lives, reach out to them, keep the relationships going, because trust me, if you do that, you will be grateful. It's going to bring you a lot of joy. I know it has for me. So after San Diego, our trip around North America continued. So my wife, son, and I, we moved to Calgary where I had my very first job. And so we started off in a comfortable three-bedroom duplex in the area called Killarney. Very nice little spot. And now this is where a series of financial mistakes unfolded. And so let me lay them out for you. Mistake number one not continuing to live like a resident. So here's how it happened. We were sitting at our kitchen table and I opened up my bank account and there in the blink of an eye with the click of a mouse, I felt like our lives instantly changed because what I saw in the bank account was my first month's salary and the signing bonus. So that first year I earned $300,000 in salary, $25,000 a month with a $50,000 signing bonus, all of a sudden $75,000 sitting there. Just think about this for a second. For a guy who only earned $10,000 the entire year before for the entire family, we felt like with the 75K, we were unstoppable. We felt like we were on fire. We could do anything. And so very quickly, 
we decided to get into the house hunt. And now, granted, we had just learned at the time that we would be expecting our second child. So with the pregnancy, with this new cash, we decided to go for the house hunt and we found a house. Mistake number two, buying when there is uncertainty in your life. Now, we understood that we would be in Calgary for some time. We estimated three to five years and we ended up moving sooner than we thought. But truth be told, my as my experience is going to show you, it doesn't really make sense to buy a house and put down all that cash if there is this uncertainty in your life. So anyways, we found a house in Marta Loop. The purchase price or the asking price was $780,000. Got into a bit of a bidding war because there was a nanny suite underneath a detached garage in the backyard. So there was some rental potential there. We won the bidding war. We paid $790,000. So put down the down payment of 158K, that left us with a mortgage of $632,000. Now here's mistake number three, not educating ourselves on how mortgages work. We simply talked to our real estate agent at the time, and he said, look at this, low fixed rate, gotta go fixed, can't get lower than this. We were suckers, we went for it. We went for a 2.39% fixed rate mortgage for four years. We fail to educate ourselves on what the cancellation costs may be in a setting of a fixed rate mortgage. And bottom line, we just fail to educate ourselves that mortgages are much more than just rates and a certain term. So you have to understand prepayment options, HELOCs, cancellation fees. Okay, you get the idea. Now, mistake number four, going for a fixed rate mortgage when there is uncertainty in your life. I'm going to show you why this came to bite us down the road. Because if there was uncertainty, if you think you may be moving cross-country in the next three, four, five years, whenever, it makes no sense to go fixed. So anyways, we got the house in September 2016, moved in November 2016. And then in December, literally one month later, I saw an email in my inbox saying that North York General Hospital in Toronto is looking for at least one radiologist. I said, what the heck? I'll apply. The Ontario market is so competitive. Who knows if this is going to work out? And then I was traveling in Patagonia in 2017, January, just a month after, and I was sitting in my hotel lobby in Buenos Aires in Argentina, and I saw this email saying, North York General Hospital, offer for interview, please come. And I was like, what the heck? So I had to reroute my flight. So instead of going straight back to Calgary, I had to go through Toronto. I did the interview, and somehow it all worked out. So speaking of uncertainty, we moved into that house in Calgary in November 2016, and then 2017, June, eight months later, we left Calgary. So we had to sell the house. So let me show you how it all unfolded. We bought the house for $790,000. The sale price was $820,000. Looks like that nanny suite beneath the backyard garage was attracting a lot of interest. Sounds good, right? $30,000 gain on paper? Well, hold on a second. So $26,000 of that went to our realtor. And then the dagger, we learned that there was going to be an $8,000 penalty for breaking our mortgage because we were on a fixed rate. $3,000 to move all our furniture across the country. And let me take you through more of it. So remember, mortgages. Mortgages are more interest-heavy early on. They become more heavy on principal later on. So... In, in the first kind of eight to 10 months for us, we had to pay about $10,000 in mortgage interest fees. We paid $5,000 
just about for property taxes, we had maintenance costs. So you think things don't break down? They definitely break down. In fact, the first week we moved into the house, our furnace motor went out. So we were sleeping on our heated basement floors to get by. We had a leak in the furnace. We had a fridge malfunction. And then just for good measure, right before we were leaving, our kitchen sink started leaking everywhere. We had to fix that. So $2,000 on maintenance. And then tally all of that up, we were actually $24,000 in the hole after just over eight months in this house. So now let me paint a different picture for you. Let me strike a comparison. What if we had not bought this house? And what if we had continued to rent? And what if I had taken that $50,000 signing bonus? And what if I had invested it into a few index ETFs? So take, for example, XAW and VCN. So if I had put 75% of it into XAW, 25% into VCN for a balanced portfolio, that $50,000 would be more than $80,000 today. So I know it's hard to follow all these numbers in a podcast. So let me just sum it up like this. If we had not bought the house and if we had continued to rent instead, and if we had invested wisely, then we would be more than $75,000 ahead today. I know that may not be life altering, but it's certainly not insignificant. So some of you may be wondering, why didn't we hang on to the house in Calgary and maybe rent it out, generate some cash flow? Great question, but the truth is we needed the money we put into the house to carry on with our lives in Toronto because we knew we were going to be moving into a very expensive market, and that's just how life goes. So just to sum it up, this whole experience, what it's taught me is, is that you should probably not be buying a house if there is uncertainty in the near future. And in the last year, I've had a chance to have some wonderful conversations, many of them with medical students and residents. And it actually comes as a bit of a surprise to me how many people have already bought a home. So when I ask them, like, what's your plan going to be for the house when you maybe move for training or you maybe move for work? The answer is, well, we'll just figure it out when the time comes. But you know what? You might, and you might be one of the lucky ones, depending on where you are in Canada. You may be able to hold on to the house, maybe rent it out. But truth be told, if you're in a market in Ontario, BC, Toronto, Vancouver, for example, it's going to be very hard to carry that house, hold on to it, and free up cash flow for, for your future. So just food for thought as you go on. And the other thing I would like to say This is what I believe. I don't think that buying a house equates to success. I know many people who have done really, really well in life, they continue to rent. So for many people, it's a very viable alternative. Ultimately, this is all food for thought. All right, so now we're into the final segment of the podcast. Please, I hope you listen to the very end because I want to wrap it up with two really important points that go beyond just finance. And then I want to talk about somebody really special. It's my late father-in-law, Mahanacharya, who we unexpectedly lost in the summer of 2021. And in fact, this episode is dedicated to him because simply put, he was just a remarkable individual. So the first take-home point is when I look at our journey to this date, I've realized that my wife Seema has sacrificed so much for me. When I look at fifth year residency, our time in San Diego, and that first year in Calgary, all of those years, Seema was not working. She gave up all of her work opportunities so that I could get a kickstart in my career. And when I look at it, she made these sacrifices so willingly because she knew how much it would help me. And Honestly, it it really warms my heart when I think about this and when I reflect on what makes a successful marriage. Like obviously, you marry somebody because you love that individual, but you marry someone because you're ready to make sacrifices for that individual because making these sacrifices to bring a positive change to the other person's life, your spouse's life, that's supposed to bring you joy and I think that's what really makes a marriage tick. 
And I think that for a marriage to thrive, and we've been married for eight years now, you have to have important conversations early. You need to make sure that when it comes to your value system, how you're going to raise your children, and essentially how you're going to tackle the financial decisions, you have to be on the same page. That only happens when you have conversations early and frequently. And choosing who you're going to end up with, who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, that is bar none, the most important decision you are going to make because it's going to pave way to personal, professional, financial success, everything. So it's much more important than where you're going to be training for residency, where you're going to be ending up for work. So cherish your partner, treat them well. And when you make sacrifices for them, you know, it's supposed to feel good. It's going to give you gratification. Keep that in mind. So to Seema, I, I don't know if you're listening to this, because I think I lost you at episode six, but I love you and you have done so much for me. You make me a better person. I know that together we are stronger and I know together we're going to keep sailing this ship in the right direction and we're going to be able to tackle any adventure, anything unexpected that's thrown at us. So my next point is on delayed gratification. And this is honestly something that is so, so common in medicine because our training years, they are long, they are strenuous. We sacrifice so much to get to where we are. And naturally, when we get to that final stage, we want more. We want to live the good life, so to speak. So how do we overcome this? Because even myself, I fell victim to it in Calgary, as you already heard about. But I was reflecting on it, and I think that there are a couple key things to keep in mind. So first of all, if you can keep living like a resident for a few years after you start practice, I think that's going to go a long way. We obviously didn't do that. We bought the house early. We made a lot of expenditures early, and that came to bite us in the end. Second thing is focus on relationships because your relationships are going to force you to live in the present. And that is what is going to give you happiness rather than focusing on your achievements and getting to the next stage. So I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but one resolution I made this year is that I'm going to keep a gratefulness journal. So every day I'm going to write down something that I am grateful for in my life so that I go to bed thinking about this and that hopefully I wake up the next day remembering the things that I'm grateful for. I hope that this helps me to live more in the present. Something to consider because I think if we do this, if we live in the present and we're happy with what we have, we're grateful for what we have, then we're going to be less reliant on expenditures and material things for happiness. And ultimately, I think what this is going to do is it's going to help drive up that savings rate. And for me, that's really step one in the personal finance journey. If you save more, you're going to be better off. Then you can invest more earlier on and take advantage of that long growth runway ahead of you. So now, guys, this episode is dedicated to my late father-in-law, Mahanacharya, who we unexpectedly lost in the summer of 2021. And although he's not with us now, there are many lessons that I learned from him that I'm going to carry on forward in my life, and I want to share those with you today. So the first thing he taught me is to always stay curious in life. Every time we went to visit him in his home in Oakville, he would be reading. He would read multiple newspapers a day. His two hobbies were history and outer space. He knew everything. And so whether it came to discussing history, current events, he was always ahead of the game. If I got into a debate with him, I would get schooled every single time. And one of the things that I have realized, like the most successful people I have come across in my life, they have one thing in common and they read all the time. They never settle. They're always hungry to learn more. This is something I saw in him every day, and it's something that I want to carry forward in my life and something that I want to pass on to my kids as well. 
The second thing that he taught me is to not be satisfied. Don't settle. And I think he really showed this in his career. So he was an entrepreneur at heart, and he became a very highly respected figure in the pharmaceutical industry. So for him, it started off by founding retail pharmacies. Then he took it to the next level by founding one of Canada's largest pharmaceutical wholesalers. And then he took it one step further by founding uh, one of Canada's, or actually Canada's largest private sterile injectable provider. And so when I look at his journey, he was an individual who would constantly want to strive for more, constantly want to do better. And I think that's the reason that he was so successful in his life. And that's an attribute that I admire about him so, so much. And I try to hang on to and I try to inject into my own life as well. Uh, I'm not going to be able to live up to his potential, but I'm going to try my best. And the third thing he taught me about was the value of networking. Uh, He was always somebody who would want to learn from people around him and would want to connect with the right people and use them and use their knowledge to help improve himself and help improve his business. And it's something that he always taught me about. And in fact, when I was going to San Diego, there were people who were saying, you're only going to earn $10,000 there. What's the point? But whereas his approach was different, he said, you're going to meet new people there. You're going to meet people with fresh perspectives, fresh ideas. They could have a huge impact on your life. You should seize this opportunity and make the most of it. And so I really hung on to that when I went to San Diego. So while he will be missed, his lessons will never be forgotten. He is truly one of the brightest individuals I have ever met. And this episode goes out to him. So guys, that's it. My first solo episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, I want to thank you guys so, so much for sticking with the podcast and supporting me along the way. It means the world to me. We'll see in a few weeks as we get into evidence-based investing. Take care, stay safe, and stay savvy.